0: Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray
1: that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today.
0: Well, welcome. I know we've been welcomed already, but... If you're visiting today and uh, you don't know me, my name is Pastor Randall. Thank you to Chris for leading today and for the uh, musicians. Hey, man, isn't it great to worship the Lord? Amen. Ah, Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, as a pastor, over the years, I've gotten to, to visit lots of people. And I've had the privilege of hearing so many incredible stories from people's lives. Uh, stories of people who lived with less than most people do. Stories of people who lived through, through wars and could hardly get by. Uh, stories of people who lived with more than most, sometimes with respect to possessions, but over and over and over, no matter what people had monetarily, so many people would say, I live with so much more, and I am so rich, spiritually I'm so rich relationally because of what God has has given to me amen spiritual wealth and many stories that, that, that the tellers would say you know I don't have much to say my, my story is pretty boring it's pretty mundane it's not much to it but no less significant to God no less significant to God because when we make that eternal decision to follow Jesus I mean, that's, that's the greatest miracle that I've ever experienced in my life anyway, <laughs> is that hope, that confidence, that assurance that I am loved by a personal God who loves me enough to have come and set an example like no other of love and of power. Uh, Easter is about, I believe, the greatest story ever lived, greatest story ever told, greatest story ever known. And I encourage you, no matter how mundane your story uh, may seem to you or how dramatic it is, uh, number one, you don't need to over-dramatize it, right, in order for it to be good. And you don't need to under-dramatize it either if God did something amazing. Uh, But I encourage you to be able to, to tell your story to other people. You know, people like to tell their stories. And in the midst of those stories, there are always or, or so often opportunities for us just to say, well, as part of our story, I just thank God for this. I thank God for that. Man, God has been so good to me. I'm so blessed. Uh, my, my favorite person in the world uh, does that uh, next to Jesus. That's Tarina, my wife. And just uh, gives glory wherever she goes, and says, uh, even was in the hospital a couple weeks ago, and had more than one opportunity just to say, in spite of what's going on here in my life, she was in the hospital, and and uh, yeah, pretty pretty sick for for a while, and would just say, but I have a strong faith, and I have a good God, and on a couple of occasions uh, where somebody, a nurse would stop and say, well, wow, that's uh, you got quite an attitude. And those opportunities just have a conversation. Trina would have some had some good, honest, just beautiful conversations about life and faith. Uh, she had a great opportunity this this past week. There's a, a friend of ours. Uh, her name is Dale. How many people know a know a woman named Dale? <laughs> so Dale Dom was was part of this church. Uh, and and Dale called her and said, uh, I have two granddaughters who happen to be twins. they part of this church. I grew up in this church. And said, every year on their spiritual birthday, I like them to go in to meet somebody and, and just share their spiritual story. Isn't that a cool idea? Isn't that a great idea? To make your grandchildren visit people they don't know? <laughs> no, that's not, that's not quite how she described it. No, they do it because they want to, and, and, but she surprises them. She doesn't tell them ahead of time who they're going to meet, and this time it happened to be Trina who knew them because we, uh, our children went to the same uh, elementary school for a few years. And uh, they got together to meet, and, and they shared each other's stories, and Trina shared hers, and they shared, shared theirs. And what a great way to encourage each other in the faith as well as to be able to share that with people who need encouragement toward coming to that place of following Jesus too. Because Christ is risen. Will you say he is risen indeed? Amen. Uh, This week I've been drawn to what for me is one of the most moving stories in, in the Bible. And it's to an incident during Jesus' life that illustrates beautifully the justice and the righteousness that Jesus would make possible on a lonely hill and then in a cold tomb for all who would respond to follow him. Now this happened during his life, but I think it's a great reflection of what he would make possible through his death and resurrection. It's in John chapter 8, and in that story, there is the intersection of several people's stories. A woman, a bunch of religious leaders, and a savior. And their stories intersect together. And today of all days, intentionally, I'm not going to talk quite as long as usual, I think. And so I don't have any PowerPoint today. But these these groups of people, so a woman, a group of religious leaders, this group of people, and a savior intersected in an event that would point to the event that would take place on a hill called Golgotha and at a garden tomb. And the intersection of these people's stories started when this woman and an unidentified man, who's who's never identified in the story, they're caught in adultery. It seems she was married. Maybe they both were, and they, they'd gotten caught up in passion. they let their heated desires consume them, and they, they threw away, at least temporarily, marriage vows that had been made before God. And beyond this event, we don't, we don't know the woman's story. Uh, we don't know if she'd been a victim of abuse. We don't know if she was married to a workaholic who was rarely home. Uh, We don't know if she was just interested in in having what, what she thought would be some excitement. What we do know is that she'd been caught. Caught in the act? I don't know. But if that's the case, then it makes you wonder about the habits of her accusers. But that's another matter, right? Oh, by the way, in two weeks we begin a series. It's kind of an odd segue, but in two weeks... we begin a series called uh, entitled Family Matters as we walk through, and we include Mother's Day and Father's Day. And so we invite you to that. We talk about uh, good relationships and dynamics in our families. So her accusers were religious leaders who would caught the couple in a rendezvous. They were the Pharisees, and they responded with swift and complete condemnation They were known for following the Old Testament law to the letter so far as they could and the interpretations of the law to the letter. They minced no words in describing the consequences of this act. Deuteronomy 22 and Leviticus chapter 20 both called for the stoning of both people. So of course it strikes you as odd, strikes me as odd that they didn't bring the man who was involved. And if they looked at themselves, they'd have seen that they were just as worthy of condemnation for being the divisive, judgmental, peeping toms that it seemed that they had been. (laughs) So Jesus is at the temple. He's at the temple and he's he's teaching. He's got a large group of people. He's teaching them. And Jesus is a problem to this group of religious leaders, to the Pharisees. He's a teacher with a large following of people. And he doesn't do things just quite the way that the institution does them. And nowadays, that just would ring excitement for a lot of people, would say, I am done with institutionalized religion, and I get that. Jesus taught with authority, like nobody else did. He carried out claims that he was greater than a prophet, that he could forgive sins, that he existed before Abraham. These guys did not like Jesus. He didn't dress like they did. He didn't hang out with the who's who of town. He, he taught clean living, but he hung out with people who didn't live so cleanly. The Pharisees would accept people after they got cleaned up. They say, you get yourself cleaned up, you get yourself, your act together, then maybe we'll tolerate you. But Jesus got to know people while they were still just normal people while they were dirty in the eyes of the Pharisees. And Jesus cared about helping them to clean up, not waiting for them to get cleaned up, but saying, how can I help you? They had a different philosophy of ministry, if you will. Jesus taught with authority. He carried out astounding miracles, claimed to be more than a prophet, one who the Pharisees did not like because they were absorbed and consumed with appearance. While Jesus was on about seeing people's lives totally transformed. And they wanted to discredit Jesus. He was getting too popular for them, too influential. So they brought this woman to Jesus. Here's how it goes. John chapter 8. At dawn, verse 2, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. That just sounds wrong. I mean because they caught her in the act. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They asked for a judgment whether or not she should be stoned. They maybe wanted stoning as the law required. I don't know, but they had a problem because though the law called for stoning, the Roman authority had the sole right to allow capital punishment, and they did not allow that. Stoning the woman without Roman consent would have been illegal. So they've got Jesus. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to trick him, try to corner him. Because if Jesus said, no, don't stone her, then they would say he's gone against the authority of the Old Testament, of the law, of the word of God. But if he said, yes, stone her, he'd be undermining Roman authority. They didn't care. I, I don't think they really cared at this moment really about right and wrong so much as they, as they, as they had the pretense they did, so much as they, they cared about winning, trapping this guy so that they could get rid of his following. They wanted to discredit him. Now move ahead a couple of years to the scene of a cross on a hill on which that same teacher hangs, dying, nails through his hands, nails through his feet, each breath becoming more labored and difficult. And there at the distance is a group of Pharisees, maybe some of the same ones who had that self-satisfied smugness with the woman before Jesus. They're hurling insults at him. They're, they're hurling taunts at him. Like, why don't you save yourself, miracle man? Come on down from the cross and then we'll believe that you're, you're Messiah. Never mind all the miracles that had been carried out during Jesus' life. What's your problem? You saved others. Why don't you save yourself? If you're king of the angels, have the angels come, set you free. What did Jesus do in return? In the most intense pain and agony, he took the same attitude that he took toward the woman who was brought to him at the temple courtyard. So we go back to the story. She's dragged before her accusers, maybe struggling to be free of them. She's ashamed. She's humiliated. She's threatened. She's afraid. She's brought before another rabbi to be publicly disgraced and punished. And he's asked, now what do you say, Jesus? Should we stone her or not? I imagine the crowd at the temple, they're holding their breath. It's silent. What would he do? What would he say? And amazingly, here in the temple courtyard, he bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. John 8, verse 6. We don't know what he wrote. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if while he was knelt down, he was, he was praying, he was talking to the Father. And after a while, he slowly stands back up. His disciples were with him and surely wondering what on earth the master's going to say. And Jesus knowingly looked at his pompous accusers. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. That's what the Spirit told him to say. And then again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. (laughs) Then one by one, the oldest first began to walk away. I think maybe the oldest one first because some wisdom that comes with age was speaking to them and they realized that Jesus was talking to their hearts and not to their heads. And When the younger ones began to leave, then they took their cues from the older ones. Aware, perhaps, of their imperfection now too because, no, they were not without sin and then they're all gone. And what follows to me is is one of the most moving scenes in all of the Bible. As Jesus gets up and he looks around and the only person left in this impromptu court proceeding is the woman. And he looks at her and he says, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, I wouldn't be surprised with her voice shaking. No one, sir. Jesus said three amazing things. Then neither do I condemn you. Go your way. Sin no more. Can you imagine her relief? Can you imagine her sense of freedom? her joy, she'd just been hauled before by a bunch of men in front of another man, in front of this crowd of people to be absolutely humiliated. She probably wept under the, under the weight of the emotions. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she crumpled down to the ground at Jesus' feet, just so thankful and filled with joy. She might even have wanted to hug Jesus, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been proper. And she surely said, thank you, thank you, thank you, and she went home completely changed. She'd been rescued from her doom. Somebody had stood up for her, had shielded her, had protected her from her accusers, had freed her from the shame, had released her to live in that freedom, and then exhorted her to stop rebelling against God. Jesus didn't endorse what she'd done. And I think it's worth saying as an aside to all of us, please, and this is to me, to all of us, please. Regardless of how tolerant our society may become, sex that interferes with the marriage tears people apart. And it is sin. And whether it's an actual Act of, of adultery, it starts in the mind. That's where the battle is. And it may go on to pornography. It may go on to, to, to an emotional relationship that, that doesn't actually commit adultery. Dwell on the way. And please, please, please protect the sanctity of the relationship of marriage. Amen? Whatever our situation, whether we relate to the woman or perhaps if we relate more to the Pharisees or we relate in some other way, Jesus takes the shame, the guilt, the pride, the selfishness, the fear, the attitude, whatever it might be, the wrongdoing. He took it upon himself on the cross just as though he had done it, even though he lived without sin. And he chose to take responsibility on your behalf and on mine, to take the accountability, to take the punishment, to make the payment, to become the payment. He rescued us from doom. He stands up for us. He shields us. He protects us from the great accuser, Satan, and his angels. He releases us from the burden of the sin and responsibility to pay for it. He releases us to live in the freedom of our protector, Jesus, in the power and the strength of our advocate, the Holy Spirit, and in the love of our perfect parent, the Father. And he invites us to enjoy life in that freedom from condemnation, in the power of the Spirit to grow in victory over sin, in the love of the Father who smiles on his beloved, and in the community of God's people known as the church. And through the example of that dearly loved woman's story, and in our personal stories, we experience both an objective and a subjective joy. We experience both the reality of the relationship with the risen Jesus, which can only be positive good news, a relationship based on a position of righteousness that Jesus has given to us by virtue of his replacing us on the cross, A relationship of favor, a relationship of belonging, a relationship of acceptance, a relationship of joy. That's what I mean by by the objective reality of joy. And then he also gives us the subjective experience of joy, our response of thanks in receiving Jesus' payment for us, walking with him, after him, trusting him. In his resurrection power... Because the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you as a follower of Jesus. Who'd say hallelujah to that? (laughs) Amen. And the experience of joy will transcend circumstances. It won't always feel great because sometimes life just stinks but it's still there. Because nobody can change the objective reality that we are in a place of joy. That can't be changed. And we can be sure that that renewed, transformed woman told people great things about Jesus. You know, there's no way she just went home and got home to the kids and, Hey, Mom, where were you? I just had a meeting with a friend. It's all good. No, she had gone back. I met. I I met Jesus. Unbelievable what he did for me. It totally changed my life. I mean, she would have been so excited without a doubt. It's like you have no problem bragging about the people that you love. I have no problem telling people about good news about people I love. I love to brag about my sons. And the things that they do, the things they've accomplished, the things that they love to do, I, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of them. I love to brag on my wife. And you might get sick and tired of it. I do it a fair bit in public. <laughs> I like to brag about my mom, who's such a great woman of prayer. Maybe not our dog, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just not the same. There are two young women who are part of of this church who have a relationship, who have that relationship of joy and the experience of joy, and they are excited about taking that story, like I'm sure this woman did with her particular story. They want to take their stories on the story of Jesus to Mexico. And I think it's this week, right? Okay, they leave on Friday through a YWAM, Youth with a Mission-related ministry there. And uh, they're excited about leaving... On Friday. One of them is here, one of them is not. The other one's in Ottawa at school, I think uh, probably toward toward the end of exams right now. And that is Ali Bayer. The other one is, is Brooklyn Gerber. Now, ordinarily, our global missions team will bless people with funds. Just an opportunity to bless if they're going on a, on a mission experience. But in this particular case, we can't simply because it's a technical uh, Income Tax Act thing that there isn't an associated Canadian charity that we can give the money to, and that's just how it works. Charities have to give money to charities. So we're doing something different for them because of that situation. And, and we're, we're giving opportunity today because we can't write a check to a charity that we, we've put a jar, we're putting a jar at the Welcome Center. It's got their names on. Brooklyn Gerber, Allie Byer. And we just give you the opportunity, if, if you'd like to give them any money, just put that money in the jar, and then that money is going to be uh, split between the two of them. Sound like a good plan? So again, we don't ordinarily do that. Uh, so, so if you're going on a mission experience in a couple weeks, please don't come to me and say, yeah, I want people to put out a jar for me too. <laughs> Because this is plan B. We do have a plan A. So still tell us if you're going to go on a mission experience. So I need a microphone because I want to go uh, to Brooklyn. Where's Brooklyn? Oh, look at you. You're right there. Awesome. And I just want you, in uh, 1,000 words or fewer, <laughs> pref- preferably fewer, just a quick, uh, this is what we're doing, this is why we're excited. And, uh, and if it's, you're not filled with joy, just, it's, you can contradict me. That's <laughs> I am definitely filled with joy. Hi, I'm Brooklyn. (laughs) Um, I have an opportunity to go to San Juan del Rio in Mexico with Ali Bayer and six others. Um, we're going to uh, help a WAWAM base that's currently there. It started about one and a half years ago. And so we're going to support the team that's there and uh, do ministry with them. So we have an opportunity to go into schools, hospitals, rehab centers, uh, distribute Bibles in the mountains where people have never heard the word of God before, and encourage the people that are currently on the base. So that's it in less than a thousand words. And if you want to know more, feel free to come talk to me. But yeah, we leave on Friday and we'd appreciate prayers and we are so grateful for your support. Fantastic. Thank you. Bless you. All right. I want to take a moment to pray for you. And so just anybody who wants to come around, if the elders are here and the missions team and uh, and everyone else, anyone who wants to come, you might as well come on over here, sure. <laughs> Brooklyn. Come right up, right here in the center, and we can gather around. When would you pray? When is the chair of our global mission team? Bless the Lord. Have "You pray." All right.
1: Oh Father, we come to you and we just give thanks. Give thanks for for um, the, the willingness of young people to go and spread your word and lord we pray for their safety and we pray that uh, um, that they will um, just receive your joy as they um, go and bring your word to others and we pray that they will be blessed today with uh, with gifts that will help them to um, buy the bibles that they want to spread to spread your word Lord, we pray that, um, that they will be a blessing to the people on the base, that they will bring encouragement there that they so uh, want to do. And we pray for the safety and that they will just have a wonderful, wonderful blessing trip to Mexico. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: Amen and amen. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an
1: encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.